Well, after about a year of being in the book of Romans, we have come to the last study of the last chapter. And like I said earlier, also happens to be the last midweek study of the year. And also the last goodbye that Paul gives to the Romans, um, seeing that he he has been saying goodbye for the last few weeks. Uh, It's been a chapter and a half of him um, giving his adioses. um, And so we come to the end. So as we close off one of my favorite books, I was thinking about this as I was putting this together. I was thinking, I have read through the book of Romans many, many, many times throughout the 35 years of being a Christian. And I also went through it on a Tuesday night at my home fellowship with our youth group many years ago. But I've never taught it in depth like I have in this past year. Um, We have done, with tonight, 32 studies in the book of Romans. And I have been challenged every bit um, just studying it, you know. Um, when, when I first started studying for this book, most of the commentators that I was reading agreed that the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's greatest book or greatest work, not just in its content, but also in its literary style, in the way it, it's written. And it is considered to be his greatest or the greatest book in the New Testament by a lot of commentators. So needless to say, um, it has been very intimidating <laughs> studying this book to teach it because I just felt like, I, I not, it's, and, and that's not to take away from any of the other books from the Bible, don't get me wrong, but because there's a huge responsibility that comes with, with any teaching uh, of the word of God in general, but but when you think of the great apostles' greatest work, you almost want to shy away from it and say, no, I'll go on to another book, because I, I, I just felt as I was studying it and looking at it going, how am I ever going to do this justice? And, and again, man, many times feeling like, ah, man, I just bombed. But... What, what, what I had to come to the realization was that the same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to write this book is the same Holy Spirit that lives in me. The same one. He hasn't changed, not one bit. And so, not that in an arrogant way, say, heck yes, I could teach this. Um, no, it was with fear and trembling still, knowing that that again, it's like, the Holy Spirit's the one that's given me the understanding and then to teach it in a practical way. Because there's been so much doctrine that has been taught throughout this book. The doctrine that is taught in, in, in the beginning, um, after chapter 3, uh, is phenomenal. And, and it's, it's a portion of Scripture that every Christian should know because it's basic doctrine that we need to know about the church. And so... Um, from verses 12 on to uh, half of 15, 
the practical aspects of this book. Once again, it, it, it teaches you what you ought to be doing as a Christian, how you ought to be walking as a Christian, what you should do, what you should not do. And again, I, it, it, as much as it's an amazing book, especially chapters 12, 13, 14, and part of 15 are not complicated. They're not complicated. They're very practical. They teach us how to live a practical life. And so it's been amazing just studying it and trying to teach it to you. And hopefully you've gleaned some stuff out of it. But many of the greats throughout the church, throughout church history have been impacted by this book. Names that you would recognize throughout church history. And my hope is that Calvary Chapel Phelan has been impacted as well. If if, if nobody else, your pastor has. I've been impacted by this book and I, my, my hope is that you would as well. And if you didn't catch all the studies, you can go on the internet and hear all 32 of them if you want, you know, in order. So that you're going, okay, I'm following along. But man, it, it, it can impact you because many, many churches have been turned around because of the book of Romans. Many revivals have started because of the book of Romans, because of the people that it impacted and the practicality that came out of it and the boldness that came out of it because people came out preaching the gospel of, of Jesus Christ because they realized, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation and I'm going to go preach it. And it's very practical, very practical in sharing the gospel. And so Paul does that throughout this book. He just lays it out there. And so throughout the centuries, the book of Romans has transformed so many people's lives, not just those who, who you would recognize as being church fathers or, or, or people from the church that, that, that are well known, but, but many people who, who you will never hear of that have been impacted that we will see in heaven one day because, again, the book of Romans taught them about what it means to, to, to exercise great, or to live in grace, to, to, to receive that grace, to understand what it means to be justified, what it means to be sanctified and, and re, uh, uh, renewed, and, and all this stuff that, that, that they understood because of the book of Romans. They, they, their walks were propelled forward because of it. They went deeper in that sense. And so the theme of the book of Romans is the gospel of God, the, the, the good news of God. And, and, and the book of Romans have, has often been referred to as the gospel according to grace because it shows grace throughout. And so normally, normally I would read the whole chapter when we get to the end of the chapter, but because of all the names... In the first part of the chapter, I will forego that. I will abstain from that and skip it tonight. You can call me a little girl if you like, but that's okay. I'm okay with it. It was, it was tough enough going through all those names last week. And there's some here that I've practiced and we'll get through those too. But uh, let's just start in verse 17, if you will, to the end of the chapter. Verse 17 of chapter 16, it says, Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies. And they 
and by smooth word and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your foot shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Trochius, um, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and uh, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you, and Cortus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest by the prophetic scriptures, has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God, alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Interesting that he uses the word amen three different times in this time. It's almost like, amen. Oh yeah, by the way. And then, amen. Oh, I forgot, P.S., <laughs> you know, and he goes on and it just kind of reminds me of pastors because they never know when to finish um, and they just keep on going and going. And so, but going back to verses 17 and 18, he says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For such who, uh, for those who are such, do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies, by smooth words and flattering speech, deceiving the hearts of the simple. Like like any good spiritual father or leader, as past, as Paul was, um, to so many, even those whom he had never met, like the Romans, he he. he he gives them a warning. As he's closing up, he, he, he kind of reminds them of something he needs to tell them as, as, as a good leader would. He, he needs to remind them of, of, of what's out there. In Second Timothy six seventeen and 18, it says, All Scripture is given for, by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we look at any book in the New Testament especially, there is all this that has taken place that we just read in Second Timothy. 
There, 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 there's doctrine, there's reproof, there's correction, there's instruction. All these things so that we can be thoroughly equipped for, for the work, for everything that's out there. We, we are to learn and to know doctrine. We, and that's why I'm saying it's really important that you understand what Romans has been sharing, especially in that portion of chapter 3 on to, to, to about 8. That, 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 that you understand the doctrine. You need to know this because it teaches you. It, it, you, you get the understanding of what our basis is, the principles that we stand on. But we're also to know what it means to live a practical Christian life. It's great to know doctrine. It's another thing to do doctrine. It's great to know what God says, but it's another thing to, to go out and actually do what God says in our lives and how to live this life. And so the Word of God teaches us all those things. But it also, in all of this, makes us aware of what is out there. That there's people that that are out there that are coming against the very Word of God. Everything that you've learned, people will come against it. And so Paul, being the good father that he is, spiritual father that he is, he's making them aware of the enemy and the enemies of God that are out there. And to understand that we are not in... Not that we're not in a poppy field, we're in a, we're in a battlefield. You know, it's not just frolicking throughout. It's like, no, there's landmines out there. Quit frolicking. Quit going out there thinking that it's all going to be awesome and amazing, you know, in this Christian walk. I mean, we get joy, we get grace, we get peace, we get all those things. But it's the battlefield out there and people are coming against you because there's an enemy out there. And if you don't understand that, then you're going to get jacked up every time because it's like your head's in the clouds and you're thinking, oh, everything's rosy. It's like, no, those people that want to ruin your life and kill you. There's an enemy out there that wants to destroy you. And so, so once again, he gives us a warning, which warnings are a huge part of our learning in the Word of God. When it, when, when, anytime there is good that we want to do, evil rears up its ugly head. And if we are not aware of the evil that is rearing up constantly, trying to come against the truth, then you're going to get chewed up and spit out. And you're not even going to know what hit you because your, your head has been so much in the cloud that it hasn't been in the Word and, and, and taking heed of the warnings that the Word of God gives us. Because there are warnings. Even those people that are nice and kind, that, that come to your door and knock on your door and they want to give you some great literature that they've come up with, it's like evil. It's not right. It's it, It's wrong. They're, they're, being, they're disguising themselves in such a way that they're so kind and they're so gentle and yet it goes contrary to the Word of God. It goes contrary to who, who they believe Jesus is. They do not believe that Jesus is God. And so again, they're coming in trying to deceive. They're trying to come in and divide what God has been uniting. They're, they're those kinds that bring in some offenses that trip you up. And if you're not aware of what's out there, if you're not aware of the doctrine that we're being taught, then you're going to fall for it hook, line, and sinker. And so the warning is, hey, be careful out there. There's people that are out there that that cause division and offenses. They come to to come against what what is contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, that you have learned. And Paul was no stranger to those 
who were contrary to the doctrine of the gospel. He, he understood that everywhere he went, there was going to be opposition. He understood that it was a battlefield, not a poppy field. He understood that he couldn't just go frolicking throughout you know, Asia and, and, and Macedonia and Achaia. He, he understood that it's going to be a battleground. There's going to be landmines everywhere I go and I need to keep focus and I need to know what's out there. It wasn't like he was looking for every demon around the corner. No, he was out doing the work of God. But as he was doing the work of God, opposition was coming towards him. And if you're not aware of it, then you're going to fall for it. And so he was no stranger to any of that. And so the warning that Paul gives us is, note those who cause division and offenses. Note them. And, and, and again, I guess the question would be, would you be able to note them? Or are you one that, that, that is like, well, as long as they believe in what they believe. It's like, no, they're coming in and they're trying to disrupt what God is trying to do. So it's hard for you to note them if you don't know what they're bringing in, the opposite. You, you, you don't know the doctrine that you, you're supposed to believe in. So how is it that you can note them? But the warning is, note those people. Note those who cause division and, and, and offenses. And that word note means to take aim at. And there was a little parenthesis, even in the Strong's Concordance, that where it says to take aim at, it says spy. It's like, let's keep an eye on them. There's a word, the word scope is closely associated, it's the next Greek word after the word for note. And that word um, is associated with that. And, and it, the word, it, it was the word scope. And as I was looking at it, and I was looking and thinking, it's almost like a scope and putting these people in your crosshairs because they're out there. You've got to be aware of that. You got to know what you're looking for and, and where they're at, and then pinpoint them. And I shouldn't put that on anybody. It's like I, I, I'm not trying to cause division. It's like well, you know, you know what I'm saying. We need to note those people that cause division and put them in our crosshairs because they're out to get you too. You know what? They have you in their crosshairs. They have the Church of God in their crosshairs. They're they're trying to bring division, and they will go after the weak. Because you don't know enough. <laughs> that word division means disunion, dissension. It's not talking about simple disagreements that we might have with somebody in the church because of personality conflicts. That's not what he's talking about. People that you might have a personality conflict doesn't mean that they're trying to be divisive or trying to destroy the, 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 the body of Christ. You just have a different, of a different opinion or you just can't gel together. But it doesn't mean that they're trying to, to set people apart one against the other. That's what that word division means. That they're actually trying to turn people away, not only from God, but from one another, from the body of Christ. They're not bringing unity, they're bringing disunity within the church. The word offenses is, is the word where we get our word scandal from in the Greek. Scandalo or something like that. Scandalon. 
And it means a movable stick or trigger. Trigger. A trigger of a trap, trap stick, a bent sapling, a trap, snare, any impediment placed in the way and causing one to stumble or fall. Almost like you would see on the cartoons that there, there's this little trap and there, you know, there's a rope and there's a little stick that as soon as you kick it, it just grabs you and it just hoists you up and you're hanging, you know. Well, maybe you guys haven't watched those cartoons, but I watch those cartoons. <laughs> but it's like setting a trap and these offenses, that's what it means, that they go and they set this trap and they put this little thing and as soon as you, it, it's a trigger and it just hoists you up and you're trapped. And so he's talking about these people that are not playing nice. They're, they're, they're not there to play nice. They're, they're bringing division and they're bringing offenses. They're bringing scandals into the church to, 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 to divide the people. With, with, the morning, with the warning comes the advice, avoid them. But it's hard to avoid them if you cannot note them in the first place. And you need to be able to note them. He says, avoid them. Deviate yourself from them. Shun them. And I don't think that Paul is saying that because he's afraid of them. It's like, oh my goodness, these people are coming in. You know, I, I, I don't think that's, that's, that's what he's saying. Just don't give them the time of day. You know, you, it's like, no. You, you don't have to be afraid of them. Yes, you do have to stand up to them, but don't give them the time of day to bring in any kind of division that would cause offenses or scandals. I, I, I would say that we should not put ourselves or be putting ourselves in places to help them feed on their own bellies. Giving them more fuel to, to add to, to the division. If, if somebody is coming to you, even within the body of Christ here, that is trying to, to, to pit, pit you against one another, don't, don't, don't add to that. Because they feed on that and they suck you in. They're smooth talkers, they're flatterers. And we need to be careful because we need to avoid them. Especially those who are not strong in the faith that could be easily swayed. That word simple here means unsuspecting. In, in, at the end of verse 18, they go after those who are unsuspecting. It would be those people who, who wouldn't even believe that somebody would come into a church and try to divide the church. Again, because you're running around in poppy fields. And, and, and you're thinking, who would come in here and do that? Why would anybody? It's like, um, no, it's been happening forever. Paul's been warning us for 2,000 years that people will come into the church and try to divide the church and we need to be careful with that. But it would be those unsuspecting Christians who, who don't know enough to, to understand or to see a warning like this and take heed to it. 
In verses 20 and, or 19 and 20, he says, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Paul was not at all saying that these people that he's writing to, that he was afraid that they were very naive, that they didn't understand. No, he's going, no, you understand. He's commending them, if anything. And that's why he's he's telling them they need to avoid those who would cause division. You you understand, you, you can see that, avoid that. And so he's commending them for being wise. And, and that word wise means well-versed. He's commending them for being well-versed in what they ought to know. That they were well-versed in what is good and what is right. And there, this, this word disobedient, it wasn't that they were obedient to him or even to the church, but they were obedient to what they had learned from the gospel, from, from doctrine. They were obedient to God. He says, I'm glad for them. He, he rejoiced on their behalf. As much as he wanted them to be well versed in what is good, he wanted them to be simple in what is evil. And the word simple here is a different Greek word from the previous word simple. The, the, the meaning here is innocent, harmless. Free from guile, pure, unmixed, as in wine or metals. It's almost like he wanted them to be innocent about evil in that sense. It's like don't practice evil. Don't don't do be well versed in what is good. But if you can, just avoid the evil. Understanding that we have to know what evil is, but don't do it. <laughs> If anything, look, look, look at, the, at, at the other side here. And so again, it's almost like earlier he said, hey, be careful with those people because they go after the simple people, the, 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 the simple-minded type, the ones that don't know a lot. But when it comes to evil, I wish, I wish you, you didn't even know any of that. Just be, just be simple in, in, in that. Be pure. Be unmixed. And so to conclude the, the warning, Paul gives his readers a promise. When, when, when he says, in verse 10, uh, 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. He is saying to his readers that the God of peace, the one who has always been peace, the one who is peace, and the one that will always be peace will bring about peace eventually in our lives. Because all those who are false teachers, all those who are out there dividing and stumbling the children of God are all under the control of Satan. And the one that controls them in due time, he will be crushed and those who follow after him. The word shortly means eminent. It's not like, oh, it's going to happen tomorrow, but it's imminent. It will eventually happen to them. Because the God of peace will always win out. And so as he finishes 
with that warning, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then it's like, oh, P.S. Verse 21. Begins to talk about Timothy and, and Lucius and Jason and so so Sipiter. But they were his countrymen. So much can be said about Timothy. If you've ever studied the books to Timothy or if you've read Acts and you 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 you, you know that there's a heart that Paul has for, for Timothy. On Paul's second missionary journey, as he was going through the city of Lystra, he came across this young man by the name of Timothy. And that's where Timothy started traveling with him. But it's quite possible that when he came across in his first missionary journey, he came across and he he met Timothy. And it's quite possible that that is when Timothy really started following the Lord to where Paul called him a son in the faith. It was really close to Paul. Timothy had had a heart for ministry like Paul. And whenever Paul couldn't go to a certain place to take care of a situation, Timothy was his man. He was a younger man that he had so much trust in that he said, hey man, I can't be there, but I, I will send Timothy. He, 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 will, he will fix things. I, I know his heart because he has my heart. And with all that can be said about Timothy and who this young man was, he was a fellow worker in every sense of the word to to Paul. He's one that, that labored with Paul, that was in the trenches with Paul, that wasn't afraid to get hurt or dirty with Paul. He was one who was willing to go all the way with Paul. And Paul, man, got into some crazy situations And even though there was this timidity about Timothy, I think he had even more boldness being around his spiritual father. That he was willing to go do whatever he was asked to do. And so Timothy is there with him in Corinth as he's writing this. Lucius and and, um, Jason and Sosipater were sending greetings to the church of Rome. Whether they knew the people at Rome or not, we, we, we don't really know. But what they did know, that they were brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it wouldn't be or it wasn't no big deal to send greetings because they were brother and sister in the Lord, whether they knew him or not. But it says that they were all countrymen of Paul. And that's not to say that they were relatives, more so that they were fellow Jews. And even so, it could be that they were just because they were brothers in the Lord. Most of them are Jews here, but Jason, some some said, well, it could be that he wasn't, but probably. But Lucius um, could probably be the one in Acts 13. He would be one of the leaders of the church in Antioch that laid his hands on Paul and Barnabas. Um, it, it, it's quite possible that he was Lucius the Cyrene. Jason... Um, he was there was a, a, a Jason from Thessalonica, which was north of of uh, Corinth, in Acts chapter 17. He's the one that housed Paul and Silas in Thessalonica, and when they came out to come and get Paul and Silas, they had gone on their way, and 
it could be this Jason that was dragged uh, by the mob and brought to the rulers of the city. And after paying a fine, they let him go. And so it could be that now he was in Corinth with Paul. So Sipater could also be so Pater of, of um, Berea that accompanied Paul to Asia in Acts 20. And so whether these guys were the same guys that went with Paul on these travels or not, it's not quite sure. But what is sure is that these guys are with Paul right now as he is writing this. And these guys had come alongside Paul and were part of the ministry. And these were dear brothers. He called them countrymen, but they were just dear brothers to him. And regardless if these guys were the other guys that we, we kind of mentioned, they were in the work. They were doing the ministry. They, they, they were coming alongside this, this man who, whose heart was to, to share the gospel. And he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And he went wherever he needed to go. And these guys would be there with him. Verse 22, where he talks about Tertius. He, he, he had the privilege of writing this letter. He was a scribe or a secretary to, to Paul. And Paul used others to write different letters for him. And it's not that Paul had to have a secretary. It wasn't that, 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 that he was that important, that he had to have somebody like that. But it's believed that, that Paul had some issues that, that prevented him from really seeing well or even writing. <clears throat> and so um, that's probably why he had people like this. And then there's Gaius. It's possible that this is the same one that Paul baptized in, in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1. But he, he is hosting Paul in his house. And it could be the same one that traveled with Paul to Ephesus and, and the one that was seized by the mall, by the mall, by the mob in Ephesus in chapter 19. As I was thinking about these two guys, uh, Jason and, 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 and Gaius here, it's like note to self. When you travel with Paul, you could be like seized by the mobs. So be careful. But these guys were willing. These guys were willing to stand up for Paul. And, and if they were the ones that this happened to, they did it. Erastus um, says that he's the treasure. And it could be that he was still the treasure there in Corinth or he once held that position. He was sent by Paul with Timothy to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 to go and do a work over there. And it's believed that he came back and stayed in Corinth. And it says that in Second Timothy chapter 4. Cortus must have been in the room and Paul didn't want him to be left out so he mentions him because nothing else is mentioned of him except that he is a brother. So it's like, what's your name? Cortus, you want to greet these guys? Okay, let me write your name down. But it is believed by historians' tradition that he could be one of the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out. And so in verse 24, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Oh, yes, I forgot. P.S. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you 
according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the beginning of the world but now has been made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. As he closes now, as he gets to the end here, he gives one final instruction. And yet as I was looking at this, it's like, man, he, he, there's no more amens left. He is done. He is finished. But for me, this last chapter and a half of his goodbyes has been rich for me. It really has. I really enjoyed just seeing and hearing the heart of Paul. Seeing all the people that were in his life, the 27 or so that we looked at last week and however many we we, we mentioned here um, this evening, there were so many people that were in Paul's life. He was a people person. He loved to be around people. He, he, He loved to minister to them. I'm sure he loved to listen to them. I'm sure he had story upon story and they loved to listen to him and all these things. But I just loved it, just reading about Paul's heart and seeing what he shares here as well as the warning and the advice and here this final blessing as he gives this final blessing where he says and now he um, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and I like the phrase my gospel it's not that he had made it up it's not that it was his personally that, that he was the one that, that wrote this gospel no it, he knew that it came from Jesus Christ and it was delivered to him and he was sharing it. But I love the fact that he, he, he made it his own. He, he wasn't bragging and he wasn't like, oh, it's mine. Like somebody would say, oh, it's my church. There, there's a difference when you hear somebody say, my church and my church. <laughs> Some people that are like, oh, it's my church. You know, you can, set, you can sense in them this braggadocious kind of attitude like, like oh yeah, I, I, I'm the big daddy there. I'm the one that's doing it. And then you can, it's, the other people, it's like, no, it's ours. It's mine. You own it. Not, not in an not a, a arrogant kind of way, but it's like, no, you're a part of it. It's like you people that would say, oh, it's my church. It's like, yeah, it's my church too. It's our church. But Paul was saying this about the gospel. It was his gospel. He had received it. He had all the authority that, that he had received and he was sharing it as if it was his very own because it was. It was handed to him. Just like this gospel has been handed to us. And not that we would use that term, oh, it's my gospel. But you know what? This is my gospel. This is for me. And when I share it, I share my gospel. I share what's been taught to me. I give that out. And so I love the fact that Paul personalizes that when he's referring to the gospel that he had preached um, concerning Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that he says that all this, according to the revelation of the mystery that had been kept secret for all these years, all, all, all the, the gospel had been hidden, but it was always there. Because what he's talking about is, ta- he's talking about the Old Testament that he was sharing with them. Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. Everything that was prophesied had to do with Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament, when you get to Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all of that has to do with Jesus. Everything has to do with Jesus. And has now been revealed. Jesus has made reference throughout 
it all. And I believe that even though the, the prophets themselves wrote this, I don't, be, I, I don't think that they were fully aware of everything they were writing about. They were being obedient and they put these things down. And, and maybe some parts they understood, but, but a lot of parts, it was future tense. But they were writing and they were being faithful. And now we get to the church age and these writings are now understood. And so he gave us the word of God. He delivered the word of God. And 2,000 years later, we get to read it and understand it. Because it's for our obedience, for our faith. And he finishes off verse 27 by saying to God, alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. He is, he is the one that deserves all the glory, all the honor, everything through Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, all of this is possible that we can understand the word of God. Because Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins. And when he left, he says, I'm not leaving you orphans. I'm giving you my spirit. And because of his Holy Spirit, we get to understand the word of God from beginning to end, from what was written way back in the OT where the prophets and the, and, and the people were writing and they're, they're writing these things down. We can look back and, and, and look at history where these guys were looking forward. We get to look back. What a privilege. And, and, and here, these guys, they only had, I mean, they had the book, the book of Romans, the letter to Romans, but they didn't realize that it would be what we look at today. They were still looking at the Old Testament and it was coming alive to them. <clears throat> Jesus Christ had become alive to them because of these writings that Paul was writing and, and some of the other guys that were writing, it was becoming the Word of God in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Now they were able to see Jesus in the Old Testament come alive. And because of that, they understood the gospel. And it was presented to them and they received it. And because of that, they gave glory to God. <clears throat> alone wise, who, who, who nobody else can compare to. He alone is the wise one. Amen? So be it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the book of Romans, Father. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us this privilege, Lord, to look at it, to read it, to study it, to glean from it, Lord. Lord, as you give us doctrine, you give us warning, you give us instruction, Lord. You give us everything that we need so that we will be well-equipped understanding what the Word of God says. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would give them a hunger. I, ho I, I pray that, God, they would desire more and more of your Word, Lord God. Lord, remind them of what your Word says continually, Lord. Give them that, that, that hunger to read it daily, Lord, so that they can glean from it. So, Lord, I pray your blessing upon my brothers and sisters. Lord, if there's anyone even tonight, Lord God, who's here, who, who doesn't understand, who feels that, that they can never understand the Word of God, I pray that this, this evening, Lord, you would baptize them with your Holy Spirit, that the Word of God would come, become alive to them. Lord, if they need to repent of certain sins that have kept them from understanding your Word, that tonight, Lord, you would truly 
is break down that wall. Give them an understanding of your word, Father. Go with us now, we pray, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for just this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything, guys, come